I lived in China, 83, 84. I speak Chinese. I've lived in Maoist China. It was right after the Cultural Revolution. And that's what's coming for us. And I think this is our last real election. We'll have, you know, this stuff was built in Venezuela so that Hugo Chavez could get through the referendum of 03. And it's, that's the basic architecture of the software of Smartmatic. And it has now become the core of two of the major commercial systems offered for sale in the United States. And if we don't, if we, you know, Venezuela hasn't really had an honest election in 20 years. And the same, I think the same, you know, people are starving and the government still wins its election. It's because it's all crooked. The software that lets them do that is the software that's in the heart of our systems. If we bend a knee to this, it could be a thousand years of darkness. And the world knows that. We've, people, people don't understand, and because it's fashionable maybe not to, you know, to be anti-American or not to love your country. They don't understand how the world looks to us. And if we bend a knee to this, it's a, a darkness comes over the world. And we don't know if it'll be a thousand years before it's lifted. Why they did not, I know what's in the Durham report, and I'm going to say it here. I bribed Hillary Clinton $18 million. I facilitated a bribe for Hillary Clinton on January 14, 2016, right here in this town. Hillary Clinton, I, on behalf of the FBI, I, they came to me around December 1st, 2015. They told me Hillary Clinton had accepted a bribe from Turkey for $20 million. They told me that, there, that I would be working for a group in New York, FBI agents, who had authorization to set Hillary Clinton up in a sting. They asked me to facilitate a bribe for her, an $18 million bribe from another government. The bag man from that other government was, I was to befriend and I was to get that person 10 minutes alone in a room with Hillary Clinton. I did. On January 14, 2016, Hillary Clinton was in this town and she met in a way that was kept off her schedule. She accepted an $18 million bribe. General Barr knows this. This is the, the Durham. They know this was what is behind it all. And I'll even tell you, I'm going to drop one more thing. I've been waiting since I've been waiting to say this publicly. And I would, this is what really happened. I will tell you, if you if you hear this and you give me 90 seconds, your viewers will understand what's happened in the last five years in America. I've been waiting to say this on mainstream TV, and they will not have me back because once they understood what this was about. I had Hillary Clinton, I caused Hillary Clinton, I facilitated a bribe and she took a second bribe for $18 million and I worked with the FBI as I did that. Uh, they, they, they're deeply involved in this. They came to me three days later and told me I had to forget about it and forget that it ever happened. And I said, what are you talking about? And they gave me one excuse. They said, uh, you are, Hillary's going to win, and it's been determined, it's been decided upstairs, nothing, nothing's going to be able to stop that now. So she's going to win, and she's going to send her people over to the FBI and ask who was part of investigating Hillary, and any of us who were part of it are going to be destroyed, and that includes you too, Patrick. And so this mission has been scrubbed from the highest level. And I thought about that, and I said, yes, sir, and I came. But two or three weeks later, I was back with three federal agents this time three federal agents, and I let them know that wasn't sitting, and, and this is in Salt Lake City, Utah, and that that wasn't sitting well with me, and I'd like to know why we had almost a year before the election. They could have had me and another person in front of a grand jury in a week and gotten her indicted. And they told me, and this is, this is the key to understanding what's happened uh, in, the la in America, 
they told me, this is word for word, Patrick, you, uh, what's really going on is this. President Obama has his people across the federal bureaucracy at this point, but especially the Department of Justice. Hillary Clinton is going to be president for eight years, and nothing's going to change that. But think of there being a Bunsen burner within the Department of Justice. That evidence about the two bribes you were part of gathering is going to be sitting on the Bunsen burner. And the hand on the Bunsen burner is going to be one of Barack Obama's people. If Hillary's a good girl and defends Obamacare, that flame stays low. If she's a bad girl and thinks for herself, it's going to get turned up high. That way, Barack Obama is going to manage Hillary Clinton for the eight years she's president, and then she's going to step down, and Michelle's going to run. And Patrick, that's the plan. That came out of the lips of a federal agent. It was confirmed to me this spring, they, the Durham investigation has located, has that plan was called the uh, Operation Snow Globe. That was Brennan Obama's name for it. They Snow Globe, they were trying to get Hillary to step into a snow globe. I'm looking for a prop. A snow globe that any time they wanted, they could then pick up and shake for eight years. Uh, my bribe was the bait to get her to step into the snow globe. That's all from it. This isn't a theory. I'm the guy in the room. I'm acknowledging I took part in all this, and I, I was, thought I was helping them conduct federal law enforcement. It turned out that I was having them, helping them set up Hillary Clinton for, for a, a deep state to control her. And that's, and I said, so that's why, and I came in public a year ago with some pictures that showed me with this Russian redhead, Maria Butina, lovely woman, that said, and so I'm saying this entire thing, this last five years, has been a coup it was a, from Obama against Hillary that when Trump won in a fluke, it got morphed into the Russian collusion delusion. And I say that as the guy that had romancing Maria and bribing Hillary Clinton. So I'm about as involved in this as you can get, and I promise you that's exactly what happened. And what we're seeing here is the last act play out. I was uh, the last act play out. And the reason I mentioned that I knew in October 2018 that this was going to happen was because in 2018 I was offered... Uh, a federal agent came to tell me, Patrick, you need to understand there are billionaires walking around this world that we made, and we're prepared to do the same for you. You just have to stay calm. You just have to stay quiet through the election. And by that election, I knew he meant 2020 election. So I've known that they were going to hijack this election since October of 2018. Does the Federal Bureau of Investigation and other departments need to be completely detonated, dismantled? Well, I think what you need to do is there was a guy, the CEO of, I forget if it was Allstate or State Farm, decades ago. It was based in, which one of those is based in Chicago, do you know? State Farm is Chicago. State Farm then. They had a big headquarters filled with 10,000 people, bureaucracy. And the CEO bought a cornfield a couple hundred miles away and he built a building for 500 people and he started moving people to it. And until he got a new mini headquarters, and then he just shut off the original one. That's sometimes bureaucracies get so big and so bad. That's the only way to fix them. The way to fix them is to hit them in the head. Is to start again and build an alternative, and then just shoot them in the head. That the, the bureaucracy in the head. And I think that's the only way that's going to be to fix our our FBI, our beloved FBI. I have such I've grew up with this revering the FBI, and I still revere you know, the men and women in it up to the mid-level. And there are people beyond that who are good. You can't throw the baby out with the bath water, but they, they are systemically corrupted at this point. 
Uh, so that's that story I just told you is absolutely the truth. There, this was a there was a bribe from Turkey, a twenty million dollar bribe in the fall of twenty fifteen to Hillary, and then they had me arrange another bribe for eighteen million dollars from a different government, which I'm not disclosing the name of that other government. And that's that's I think what the start of this coup really is. Do you believe she's going to be held accountable at some point for this? Assuming President Trump is re-elected. Well, if he is elected again, if he if he does get through this, and I think that's a high, you know, they were trying to demoralize people and, and make people think there's no chance of that. I think there's a high possible, I mean, it's quite uh, a conceivable outcome to me that he is the president on January 21st. And again, I'm not saying that as a guy who voted for, them, for him. I'm saying it as a guy who cares about the country and I do not want to see it hijacked. If we go down on this, if we go down to this assassin's maze, it's our last free election. I lived in China, 83, 84. I speak Chinese. I've lived in Maoist China. It was right after the Cultural Revolution. And that's what's coming for us. And I think this is our last real election. We'll have, you know, this stuff was built in Venezuela so that Hugo Chavez could get through the referendum of 03. And it's, that's the basic architecture of the software of Smartmatic. And it has now become the core of two of the major commercial systems offered for sale in the United States. And if we don't, if we, you know, Venezuela hasn't really had an honest election in 20 years. And the same, I think the same, you know, people are starving and the government still wins its election. It's because it's all crooked. The software that lets them do that is the software that's in the heart of our systems. If we bend a knee to this, it could be a thousand years of darkness. And the world knows that. We've, people, People don't understand, and because it's fashionable, maybe not to you know to be anti-American or not to love your country, they don't understand how the world looks to us. And if we bend a knee to this, it's a, a darkness comes over the world, and we don't know if it'll be a thousand years before it's lifted. How do we determine what it is we, the governed, consent to? We hold elections that are free, fair, and transparent. Does anyone think the United States elections at this point are free, fair, and transparent? Thank you. It was not just me. It's, we have learned so much in the last two and a half years. One is, it was always, you know, the, we, the U.S. has been teaching the world for 70 years how to run elections. The first principle is an election without transparency has zero integrity. What we have found out is that now that people are digging into elections and trying to, to get to the bottom of it, there's no transparency. We are fought and fought and fought. That's because they're covering stuff up. It's going to turn out before the next election, you're going to learn that some of the craziest things you heard about in the days after the election are going to turn out to be true. Maybe some of the lawyers went off a bit half-cocked, but you're going to learn a lot of that stuff really is true. So no matter what you care about, there's something you got to care about more, other than your immediate family. If you don't want to see, well, another thing America is facing is Maoism with, with American characteristics. Mao was a master of movement warfare. By 1966, Mao came to power in 49. By 66, he was kind of put out to pasture. So he did this cultural revolution. And in the cultural revolution, what they did was they named there were five bads you could be. You could be a capitalist, you could be a landlord, you could be a rich peasant, you could be a anti-revolutionary element, or you could be a bad element. And if you 
And if you were bad, you got tortured, beat up, walked around town with a dunce cap on your head, and your bad descended on your child. And the only way your child could escape it was by adopting a new identity, red. Well, what we're living, and that harnesses a whole bunch of psychological and social, I mean, Mao was a genius of movement warfare. And that's how he took the country back for 10 years. What we're living through now, there are different types of identities that are bad. Christian, white, male, all kinds of things. <laughs> Have a job, who knows. A cis, a cis rather than any of the other 86 genders. Uh, those are bad, and your way, but for a child to, so a child to gets confused and can adopt a new identity that escapes that, and that's woke or anything LGBTQ, et cetera. So that's what's going on. You, this is an engineered takedown of our country. You got one chance to beat it, and that is in the election that's coming up in 14 months. If we lose that, you can expect a Venezuela-like event. You can expect a Chinese revolution-like event. I think we're very lucky to even have held out this long. If it had not been for this community that got going to me, this was all supposed to be over by June 2021 at the latest. This was all supposed to be over, and any other color revolution has been over that quickly. It is only because of this decentralized nature of patriotic Americans who have come together and gotten this movement going and the legs it has that, is it, that, that we've even gotten to this point, and I hope we make it. I hope we make it 14 more months. Let me tell you what they have in mind. They want to do anything they can to get it to go violent. They want to get do anything they can to go violent, because then they can use all the forces of the state and those trillion rounds of ammunition that Barack Obama stored away and all the two million guns and such, they can use it. And your job is to keep things peaceful. If we are peaceful and can turn the other cheek, we'll be out of this in four, 16 months. Get involved in the, your precincts. Thank you very much. Welcome back to Worldview Report Sunday. Glad you are with us, and we're very pleased to have with us an American hero, someone that many of us have been following, a courageous guy who just keeps going no matter what, who has a great conviction for our country, General Michael Flynn, also former director of national intelligence. He joins us for this inaugural program. What a lineup today, right? Yeah. He joins us for this inaugural program of Worldview Report Sunday. General Flynn, welcome to the broadcast. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Brandon. I really appreciate it. I always appreciate coming on your show. And I think this inaugural broadcast is going to be the start of something even greater as we move forward over these next couple of months into some very, very difficult times that this country is going to go through. And thank you for that, General. Let's, we have so many things we could talk about. We could go for hours. And we were just having a great conversation before, the, before we started going live here. But um, let's talk about multiple things. But let's start with China and Russia. They've been uh, in the report, the ports we're reading, they've just had some military exercises similar to what we've seen with Japan. Uh, tell us about your thoughts on China, Russia, Taiwan, uh, the war that we're fighting with Russia through Ukraine, what that really means, who are we really fighting? Are we just fighting Russia when we're doing that? Give us your bird's eye view of that. Yeah, so, you know, one of the things that's happening that people need to understand is that China has every ambition to be the principal superpower on the planet this century. They have been talking about that for the better part of 
50 or more years. It goes back to their, their sort of plan that, that came, uh, came into, into fruition under Mao Zedong in the, in, the, in the early 50s. And they said that in 100 years, and that would be by 2049, that China would be the, the global superpower. And I actually think that we are moving much faster now under President Xi. China right now is the number one trading partner with about 80% of the world, 80% of the world. So, I, so I, let's just say about 75% of the population of the world is now the number one trading partner with China. China's principal military partner is Russia. So when we talk about, when we talk about a war in Europe, we talk about this war in, U, in Ukraine, and, we, and we're ready to spend hundreds of billions of dollars. We're sending, uh, we're sending more forces over to Europe. We, we hear this talk about the potential for nuclear warfare, which is, we've heard it both from our side and from, and from the other side, from the Russian side. When we look at the principal partners that we are up against, we're not just up against Putin and Russia. We're actually up against China and Russia. Mm -hmm. and, you know, and then there's, of course, the, the little... The little piece of geography called Taiwan out in the Asia Pacific Theater of Operations. That's a big that's a big part of what we're dealing with is that if we continue to stay sort of focused on one piece of geography, China loves that because they can continue to do the things that they're doing out in the Pacific right now. I mean, the Chinese just had one of the largest naval and air incursions around the island of Taiwan in the last probably week or two here. So back to back to Russia, when when we hear that the sanctions are working, or we, or we hear about the counteroffensive coming out of Ukraine, and that how this war is going to be, you know, ending any time, you know, any any day now, what we're what we're not getting is we're not getting the truth from our media. We're not getting the truth from the from the real hardcore journalists that we know are actually operating on the battlefield. Many of them, many of them, for the, for those of us that do pay real close attention to. What is happening? We're looking at at a war in Europe that could easily start World War III, easily take us into World War III. And you have to ask yourself, Brandon, you have to ask yourself why? Why is it that we're trying so hard to protect a country that we really don't have any vital national security interests with? We we made agreements post the end of the of the Cold War in the early 90s. And uh, some of those agreements come out of the, the what's called the Budapest Accords, where we agreed to no further expansion up to the frontiers of Russia of NATO. And one of the one of the arguments that's always been there be, because of that particular agreement in Budapest, Hungary, back in I think it was 1994. You know, one of those arguments was the was the Cuban Missile Crisis, right? Would you want to have like we went through in, in uh, under JFK? Would you want to have the the, the same sort of thing happened to your frontier, America, as is happening to Russia. And I'm not an apologist at all, and I'm not going to apologize. We are moving in a direction where we are about to face a global alliance that is a very, very powerful economic and military alliance. And let me lay that alliance out. Let me lay this, this global alliance out, because whenever we've gone to these big world wars, you know, World War One, World War Two, there's always been these these giant nation states that have been competitors against each other during these big wars, right? And, and, and the wars, you know, they, they don't do anybody any good other than spend more money and, and, and cost lives. So this global alliance that we're up against, economically, 
for for your audience, and your audience is is very switched on. You know, there's something called BRICS, the, and that's the yes. that is an, a big economic alliance called you know it's Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. Well, within the BRICS alliance now, we have another. I think it's another ten countries that I've been made aware of. One of whom is France. France may be joining this BRICS alliance. The BRICS alliance, the BRICS countries alone represent about 47% of the world's population. By adding the the other 10 that 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 come, you know, that I have seen talking yes. about joining this, that's about 70 to 80% of the world's population in some of the largest economies in the world. And when you have that type of economic alliance against you, and 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 all of those countries that I'm talking about, that the BRICS nations alone, as well as those that are going to join, all of them, all of them trade and have huge economic uh, relationships with every country in Europe, every single one. Never mind the United States of America. So now you talk about the military alliances, and we've always known the military alliance of China and Russia. This goes way back. This uh, this the Chinese and Russians have had long long standing relationships. But particularly back around 2012, I think again in 2014, we've seen a recent uh, um, visit by Xi where they strengthened that military relationship, where we now have, where we now have uh, resources being provided to Russia to help them, just like the United States provides tanks to the Ukraine for God knows what to get blown up. China's providing uh, resources to uh, Russia. So you have those two nations. And then you start to look at some of the other Nations that are aligned, and the and the and the the typical ones are North Korea, a nuclear co country, Iran, which is no uh, wallflower, and countries like Venezuela. That's sort of the the grouping of the real hardcore dictatorships and communist countries or Islamic radical Islamic countries. But you also have other countries that are emerging and coming. You know, there's countries in Africa, there are countries in Asia, Pakistan is among them. The, the uh, retreat from Afghanistan that we had back in, uh, in uh, 2021, uh, summer of 2021, almost two years ago, uh, coming up here next month, the, uh, the country of Afghanistan now is almost, almost completely owned by the Chinese, particularly their mining. And one of the resources that comes out of a uh, Afghanistan is lithium. Lithium goes into damn near everything that we have on our bodies, every, all, all sorts of batteries. That particular... Yes. That particular rare earth element is something that's used in war making products and war resources and is a commodity that the Chinese now have almost, I would say, almost 50 percent control or more of the world's lithium. So all of these sort of data points that I just laid out there together, we are facing a global alliance that is a very powerful, very economically strong, very militarily strong uh, alliance. And it's up against a, a alliance that we that we tend to think of as NATO, right? NATO is a is a defense alliance, but the NATO countries also fall under the umbrella of the European Union. And there's trade agreements, right? Not everything is about military to military interaction. And frankly, NATO is such a top-heavy sort of headquarters-only uh, capability, headquarters force. That's why we're seeing. Uh, the U.S. military or the U.S. Uh, uh, White House just recently making the decision to send uh, slightly over 3,000 reservists over to Europe to to beef up our forces over there. 3,000 may not seem like a lot, but then you have to look at what type of resources, what type of people are they? They're logistics, they're intelligence, 
and they're in the world of human resources, a, a, a few of them. And so what we have- So what does there, that tell you? What, what does that yeah, tell it tells you, you what you're getting it tells, it tells me a lot. It tells me a lot because these are the people that are going to go and basically begin to prepare to potentially bring larger forces because we don't have that many, we don't have that many uh, forces, you know, like combat forces over in Europe. We have some air force, we have some army, but it's not like it used to be at the end of the Cold War. When in the in the uh, in the 1980s, when I was a young officer in the in the uh, army, and we were going at the height of the Cold War, we had half a million combat forces, 500,000 mainly combat forces in Europe. Today we probably today we probably have around somewhere between 60 and 70,000, and it's mostly headquarters. We don't have a lot of combat forces. There are some, but it, it, they're the they're the smaller part. So you're going to have to bring over reservists. In this case, these types of specialists and these specialties to start to be to start to prepare to bring over larger forces if there's a decision to do that. And and, uh, you know, I, I mean, most people probably haven't read the letter that the secretary of defense wrote. I did. And there's a there's some opening in there to provide even more forces if necessary. So that basically gives a, I call it incrementalism. This happened in, you know, to, to take people back in history a little bit. This happened in Vietnam in the. In the uh, in the early '60s, up, up till probably '60, even '65, '66 time frame, the American people were generally for the war in Vietnam, and they were kind of behind it. Most, you know, probably probably 50-50, but they were generally behind it. And then all of a sudden, when when things began to change, and we really started to see this war for what it was was it was it I call it war. You know, war is a racket, right? When we really started to see what was happening, and we started to lose more and more American soldiers over in Vietnam. The attitude of the country changed dramatically, and it took us almost another six to seven years to extract ourselves out of Vietnam. Wow. Well, well, Ukraine or Eastern Europe is not going to be Vietnam because in Vietnam, we lost 55,000 killed in action. In Ukraine, if we start putting combat forces into Ukraine, we're going to see numbers that we haven't seen since like World War II in terms of casualties. That, that's the real potential. And anybody that thinks that that Russia is suffering under some sanctions, I just laid out the the way the Chinese are ruling the world economically. And believe me, if Russia was suffering, then 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 you would see a collapse of that country. The one thing that I have studied and I know and I have and I have spoken to these people, the ability for the Russian citizenry to suffer or to give up for their country in order to protect their country is a very, very high threshold. And what we're seeing in, in Ukraine is we're seeing a country that is, and everybody knows this now, there's no more hiding this. You, you know, so why is Ukraine so important? Well, it's a hub for human trafficking. It's a hub for specifically for child trafficking. It's a hub for narcotics trafficking. It's a hub for weapons trafficking. We now, we know about our bio labs because Victoria Newland said we had them there. I mean, we've always known that, but you know that's stated now publicly. And there's a lot of money just flowing into into this uh, this country. And you say to yourself, where is this money going? And we is it money laundering? Is it oh, money laundering? I mean, money laundering. You name it. You know, just this week, and it's and it, and it may not have come up on your screen, but I know you pay attention a lot. I mean, there's a couple of people. I think one of them is like somebody in the Ministry of Defense there. And it might be the Minister of Defense or maybe somebody in his orbit. They're buying these now these gigantic homes for, you know, millions and millions of dollars. And you say to yourself, how is this the case? 
number one, why are we putting up with this, right? That's number one. Number two, you know, what is it that we're doing? And this now, now I want to take it back to our government, right, and our leadership in Washington, D.C., particularly the, uh, the Republican side, the conservative side. I mean, the, why do we continue to have U.S. senators, Republican conservative U.S. senators and Republican conservative members of the House of Representatives that continue to support this war? And what they'll tell you is, well, we need to fight over there instead of fighting at home. Hey, we have like a 30 to 40 trillion dollar debt. We have an invasion of our southern border by and right now. We now know a lot of military aged Chinese men yes. are now coming into our country. And frankly, the Chinese already control many of our institutions here in this country. So it's it's going to be an ugly marriage that's going to be made that's going to hurt us. We have our own killed in action on the battlefield of America. And those are those are children. Those are people dying in our streets of something called fentanyl, which is yes. which is produced and made and shipped over here from China. So we have our own battlefield in America, and the weapon that's being used against us are this is this drug called fentanyl. And and there's and there are other things that are being promulgated from that. There's crime that's rising. So this invasion of our country, this huge, huge debt, this what what seems to be a complete lack of of uh rule of law for for those that are committing like really egregious levels of crime. I mean, we talked off off camera uh, for your audience and for this for this uh, inaugural show, we talked about, you know, cocaine found in the White House. You know, it's it's not a joke. It's we, we should not joke about this. The, right. the level of serve, the level of security for the White House and it's and it's designed principally to do this, to protect the president. But the level of security from from the point of entry, no matter where that point of entry is, all the way through and inside that. And now we're talking about cocaine being found not just once, not twice, but maybe as many as three times. So all of these things that I'm laying out here, it just, it, 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 it kills me when I think about the lack of leadership, the lack of moral authority, uh, not only here at home, but, but internationally, on an international stage that we have. And our country is in a place right now where we are, and I, and I say this, and I say this with all due respect to anybody else out there, we are not at the precipice looking over the cliff on the edge of the cliff. We're in the, the I use Psalm 23 and I use it routinely because I lived it. We are in the, the part of Psalm 23 that says, you know, yea, that I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil for thou art with me. And I know that that Psalm goes on, but this valley of the shadow of death that we are in America is, is real. And it's real because we have lost the moral high ground. We have given in and given up the moral high ground to really what is, I believe, a communist takeover, a, a Marxist left takeover of our country through, uh, through the various institutions of our country, even including and up to uh, the White House and, and other elements of the institutions of government but definitely institutions of our education system, our banking institutions. And I've talked a little bit about the economic challenges that we face with this global alliance. And then, of course, one of the last bastions of culture that has to be uh, overtaken is our military. And I am I am so upset about the direction that our military has taken, where our U.S. Navy has as, as one of its uh, recruiting posters or a recruiting video, they have a transgender uh, you know, person as a, you know, to recruit. I mean, 
this is this is insane. I mean, it's it's so time insane. when we're almost we're on the verge of World War Three. Yeah. You just mentioned they demoralized the military. People yep. don't want their children going into the military. People that have served in the military their whole life are telling their own kids and grandkids, uh, I don't think this is the time for you to go into the military. We're seeing it's them sad. hollow out the military with the COVID force vaccinations, the stand down order to find anybody that might have been a MAGA person or a patriot to get them out. Then we have the LGBTQ agenda, which makes many say I don't want to go in there. So they've hollowed out our military. They've given away our ammunition and our munitions. Even Joe Biden's come out and said we're running low. And now we've drawn down our strategic oil reserves since you know the 1983 levels. And, and we've got our financial crisis that you mentioned. We have our borders open with the battlefield prepared by the red-green axis, the Islamist and the Marxist. And, and then you make the great analogy. We are in a a shadow of death. We, and yet most Americans, because we don't have the moral leadership we need, as Gordon Chang says, we should be preparing the American people for war. China's preparing their people. We should be preparing the American people for war. There should be a national dress of how dangerous it is. But of course, they can't do that because the ones in the White House are the ones who deliber deliberately done that, which brings right. up this question in closing. If yeah, you are gonna destroy America and you're gonna destroy the military, what, what else would you do other than what this administration has done? And this wasn't going on when President Trump was in the White House. And now this week, we have President Trump saying, it looks like I'm about to be indicted by uh, a grand jury in Washington over January 6th. The one guy that has the momentum and the polls behind him and the guy that didn't have any war during his four years, and none of this craziness was going on like this when he was in the White House. The one guy and the movement of Americans behind him who can fix it and want to fix it the right way, they're trying to destroy those kind of leaders. Yeah, so let me let me finish with this. So what would you destroy? And I'll specifically talk about the military because this is a big component of every aspect of our country. The thing that you would destroy is you would destroy the trust between mm. the people of our country and our military. So, and that that is well on its way to happening, okay? And it started with when, when I, uh, uh, to put a, a you know a date or a finger on the on the time frame. It started at the retreat out of Afghanistan, okay? So so you know erode or destroy or eliminate the bond between the American people and its and its military. And the two components of that that you would really attack. So from a cultural perspective, is you would attack recruiting. So recruiting yes. new recruits coming into our military. So that means. That means really tear at the fabric of society and make it so people don't want to join our military. And the second thing you would go after is retention, meaning re the, those that are in the military to try to retain them to stay in the military. You want to go after that. You want to attack that. So, so you go after you throw out, you know, like you just laid out, you throw out people that, that uh, you know, are, that have a MAGA bumper sticker. You throw out people that didn't want to get the shots, right? And now what we've learned about COVID. So you destroy those two components of our military, re recruiting, that means joining up, or retention, that means staying in. We used to say, you know, you recruit the soldier, but you retain the family. That's a, that was a phrase that we used for a long time, years ago. Recruit the soldier, retain the family, because a soldier would come in, they'd get married, they'd have kids, and then you would really want to retain the entire family so that you would have a lifelong soldier, you'd have a soldier that comes in. I mean, we have... We have, uh, I think it's the Secretary of the Army that is now talking about we don't want legacy 
uh, family members coming in. So for example, my grandfather served in World War I and World War II. My father served in World War II. I had a brother that was in, in the military during Vietnam. I've served, I still have a brother that's in. And so we don't want those kinds of people anymore because their, their mentality is a warrior mentality. I mean, this is crazy talk, but that's, that's what they're trying to do from the military perspective is destroy the trust between the fabric of society and, and, and the way our military always was seen, which is a very you know, upstanding, well-led organization, institution in our country, right? And go at right. it through recruiting and retention. You destroy those two pieces of our U.S. military, you're going to destroy the military. And they're, to me, it's like they're working overtime. Our recruiting numbers are down. They are down. No, no, none of the chiefs of the services can argue that. Uh, they're down for a lot of reasons. And I just highlighted a few of them. But I, I, you know, I pray, I pray that as we go forward, that we, we the American people, we fight to maintain that moral high ground, to, re, to retake the moral high ground. And we do that through our, our, we do that through our faith. We do that through our families. We do that through our communities. And I always, I always like to say we do that through local action because local action in our, with our families, with our churches, with our communities will have a national impact. And if people don't repurpose their lives now going forward, you know, between now and, and uh, 2024, uh, we might lose this country. We may lose this tell country. Tell our, in, in closing, General, tell our family, our, our listeners about your book, Fifth Generation Warfare, where they can get it. Yeah, so the, the Citizen's Guide to Fifth Generation Warfare, and we specifically titled it The Citizen's Guide for Citizens. It's a great book. They can go to generalflynn.com, generalflynn.com, and you can purchase it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, The Citizen's Guide to Fifth Generation Warfare, generalflynn.com. And it is a bestseller. And if people read it, you're going to understand exactly what I'm talking about. And we wanted to finish off by resourcing the people because we've laid out the problem. Now we're going right. to give them some, some solutions through that book. So, folks, right. you need to get the book because it'll help you understand the war and how they're carrying out this new war, information war, propaganda war. You know, you've got to get this kind of information so you can fight it, at, as he said, at your local level, through your family, your churches, your community. We have a lot of people to wake up. General Flynn is leading that in so much of the arenas of today. We appreciate your service that continues to this day. General Flynn, thank you so much for being with us today. God bless, Brandon. Thank you very much. finger paint. You will make a painting that shows people of different races and sexual orientations getting along. Finger paint! Finger paint! You will not make any distinction between people of different color, people with different sexual preferences. You will accept everyone. What are you finger painting? Uh, a bear? I bear? Oh, bear has nothing to do with accepting people of different races. Uh, I didn't know what else to paint. Start over! You will finger paint what we tell you. Go! Faster. 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 <laughs> Faster! Are you done? What is it? What have you done? People of all colors are green holding hands beneath a rainbow! Good! That wasn't so hard, was it? Now do it again! <laughs>